Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7? We like our traditions, don't we? Traditions. You have some family traditions. We have some things that have turned into traditions around our home. I have learned to be very careful what I start at our house. Around our house, we're quick to make traditions, especially when it has to do with with uh, my wife is not in here this morning. She's helping with junior church, I think. So I can say this without hear, hear, her hearing me this morning, but she'll, she might listen to this later. So I have to be careful, right? When it comes to me making food, when she normally makes food, if I offer to make food, like I learned how to grill. <laughs> I love grilling, but now all summer I cook. <laughs> That's a tradition. When as soon as it's warm enough to stand outside, even if it's not warm enough to stand outside, Carolyn would love it if I would grill something. So a few, a few years ago, I decided to make cookies. And I did a good job. I think I did a great job because my older kids were little then, and, and I, I, but I, I wanted to make no ordinary cookie. I wanted to make monster cookies. So I found a recipe because I like to follow instructions because I don't know what I'm doing otherwise. And uh, this thing had all kinds of ingredients like chocolate chips, but not even not only that, but but uh, M&Ms and butterscotch chips. And I can't remember all the stuff that I put in those things, but when I was done with them, they ended up about the size of a small plate and um, about a half an inch thick. And I think it, you, know, you couldn't really eat one without feeling like you'd eaten a meal. And I never made them again. But everybody wanted that to be a tradition. Dad, make monster cookies again. I was like, no, I don't, I don't think so, not today. And that not today has turned into many, many years. The younger guys, you guys have never seen monster cookies because it was before your time, but maybe someday. They really wanted that to be a tradition. Something else I decided to do years ago, on Christmas morning I decided, and this again has something to do with food, right? I decided to make breakfast for the family and I you know, included three or four kinds of breakfast meat and pancakes and, oh, what else, cinnamon rolls and eggs and I was thinking of all kinds of things and I wasn't thinking about how long it was going to take. It took about two hours. It was almost lunchtime by the time I got done and everybody was, was really impatient for me to finish breakfast. But in fact, I was surprised they wanted me to do it again the next year, and I've done that a few times, and I've tried to break that habit the last couple of Christmases because it, it's a lot of work. I don't know what I was getting myself into. Traditions. Some traditions can be very good. And you know the other side of that. Some traditions can be not so good. For the Jews, in the days that Hebrews was written, there was something that they were clinging to, something that they were hanging on to. It had become a tradition for them. It's why the writer of Hebrews addresses the Levitical priesthood. We've seen it here the last couple of Sundays. For the Jews, in the day Hebrews was written, there was this tradition of the Levitical priesthood, and there were some who were a part of the church in that day who were tempted to believe that that old tradition was the only way to God. Specifically, they were thinking that the Levitical priesthood and its sacrificial system, which offered sacrifices for the sins of the people, but not only the sins of the people, but also the priest who offered them, they were thinking that that Levitical priesthood and its sacrificial system was better 
and that it was the only right way to God. But of course, you've heard this many times, and I'll keep saying it, that Hebrews was, was written to tell us that Jesus is better. That Jesus is far better. And this is what the writer is dealing with as we arrive at verses 11 through 19 this morning. Are you there in Hebrews chapter 7 with me? I hope you brought your copy of God's Word and you can follow along together with me. I would encourage you to bring your Bibles as we open them every Sunday together to see what God is going to say to us. Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 11, I'll read through verse 19. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? And when there is a charge, a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well, for the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And we praise God for the better hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. So right here at the beginning, if we go back and look at verse 11, right here at the beginning of verse 11, it's clear the writer is dealing with his reader's commitment to the Levitical priesthood. This was their tradition. And he begins by saying that if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? That was Jesus, of which Hebrews speaks of having come after the order of Melchizedek. But, but what is this perfection being spoken of here in verse 11? If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood. What is this perfection spoken of here? Perfection here is used to indicate completeness. The idea is completeness. The idea is that of making a person acceptable before God, complete and acceptable before God. And so verse 11 is telling us that perfection or one's acceptance and completeness before God could never come through the Levitical priesthood. If the, if the Hebrews were thinking that this Levitical priesthood was the answer, they were mistaken because perfection, rightness, perfection before God could not come in this way. The Levitical priesthood 
was imperfect. And it was because it could never bring anyone to God. It could never bring anyone fully complete and fully perfect before God. It could never bring man to God. It could never bring perfection of man before God. And verse 11 also points to the law. We see it there in parenthesis. For under it, the Levitical priesthood says, for under it, the people receive the law. Through the Levitical priesthood, people are served by God. They go to the altar and offer sacrifices first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. And this came by the law. And verse 19 points to the weakness of the law. Look at verse 19. You'll see another parenthetical quote here. For the law made nothing perfect. And the point is that the law could never make mankind complete. The law could never bring man fully complete and fully righteous before God. The the law could never bring man near to God. And that is what mankind desperately needs. Do you realize that? Mankind needs to des- de- desperately needs to be near God, to know God. To be here's the idea. Mankind desperately needs to be right with God. And yet, that's the whole problem of man. That's the whole problem of mankind. We need to be made right with God, brought near to God, but on our own says Ephesians 2.1, we are dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Romans chapter 3, verses 9-12 through 12 says likewise, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Is it clear yet? God's Word is clear, isn't it? That we desperately need to be made right with God, and yet no one does good. No one is righteous not even one. We desperately need to be made right with God. We need to be made acceptable before God. But the Levitical priesthood could never fully accomplish this, and the writer was trying to make this point plain to his readers. And it's a reminder to us today, too, that we need to find the way to God. And we can look all over creation to find many ways that some people say there are many ways to God. No, no. God's Word says there is one way to be right with God. And if you don't find that, you are not right with God. You need to find the one way. That one way is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Hebrews is making clear. That's why the writer of Hebrews is saying again and again, no, no, Jesus is better than all. Don't waste your time chasing all the many ways to God. There aren't many ways. There's one way through the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer's also making plain that the law itself was never intended to save people. You can try hard to be a keeper of the law, but good luck with that, right, we say. What the law did do was point out sin. 
What the law was very good at was pointing out and exposing sin. Says Romans 3.20, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. In other words, no, no keeping of obedience of law, because even that is imperfect. No, no one can fully keep the law. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law exposes our sin. The law makes clear that we are sinners in need of forgiveness, in need of saving, in need of being made right with God. And Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 makes this even clearer. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but... That's one of my favorite words in the Scriptures. But... (laughs) And this is wonderful news. But where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more. And that's going to point to how we are made right with God. That's going to point to something we're going to see in just a moment. So the function of the priesthood seen in the Old Testament was to make people acceptable before God. And yet, that function of the priesthood was incomplete. It can only do it partially. God had established the priesthood to bridge the gap between mankind and Himself. But even that was incomplete. You see, the law pointed to sin. And God had instituted the sacrificial system because of sin, but it only offered temporary forgivenesses of a person's sin. And because of this The sacrifices had to be offered continually, repeatedly. And verse 11 shows us that that the Levitical priesthood could only do this imperfectly, that there were limits to what the priesthood could accomplish because it could only bring forgiveness through these continually offering of, of sacrifices. And even the priest needed to offer sacrifices first for his own sins, before offering them for the sins of the people. Even the priests themselves were not completely holy. They had their own sins to deal with. And so the writer shows us in verses 11 and 12 that the imperfect nature of the Levitical priesthood necessitated a change. There had to be a change. And though the law pointed out sin, it could not save Keeping of the law could not save. What the law ultimately accomplished, though, was this. It it accomplished this revelation of sin. It revealed sin in people's lives. It revealed to people that they needed to be saved. It reveals to us that we need to be saved. And it points to the One who saves. You see, the law points to our sin and points to our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one spoken of. Look at verses 13 and 14. He's the one spoken of here. For the one. Verse 13. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So Jesus, our Lord, 
is the one of whom verses 13 and 14 speaks when it makes clear that the Levitical priesthood and the law is replaced by our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3 and verses 24 and 25 really helps us understand the role of the law, helps us understand what God is doing with the law before Christ. It says this, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. You see, the law was imperfect to save. It could not save. It revealed sin and it kept us as a guardian until Christ came. But now we have Christ. Now we have a better hope. What was needed was a new and better and eternal priesthood. Now we have it in the Lord Jesus Christ, says Hebrews, and that is the need which Jesus fulfills, that new and better and eternal priesthood. Look again at verses 18 and 19. Verse 18 says, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. We desperately need a better hope. We desperately need a better hope. And praise God, He provides a better hope through which we draw near to God. We desperately need to be made right with God. And praise God, Jesus makes that possible. He's the one through whom a better hope is introduced because it, it's only through Jesus that we can draw near to God. It's only through faith in Christ that we can be made perfect. It's only through faith in Christ and in His finished work on the cross and in His resurrection from the dead that we can be made complete, right, and acceptable before God. We cannot do this in and of ourselves. The writer is writing to the Hebrews saying, no, the Levitical priesthood does not accomplish this. The, the law does not accomplish this. Jesus Christ has come. He's the better hope. He's the best hope. Jesus is our eternal priest. He is our better hope. And our passage makes that clear, showing that His priesthood was not dependent on ancestry. Verse 14 says, For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. He didn't come from the Levitical priesthood. And in that, in connection with the, that tribe, says verse 14, Moses said nothing about priests. Verse 15, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises, the Lord Jesus Christ, our better hope, in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power, get this, because Jesus, after the order of Melchizedek, because of the, because the biblical text, the biblical account is silent on Melchizedek, on his beginning and ending. It's not that he, he lived forever, but it's silent about it. Jesus is, is, a, 
is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is like Jesus in that the record is silent about Melchizedek's death, even though he did live and die. The Bible doesn't say anything about it. So verse 16 says, "...who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life." Jesus Christ lives. He rose from the dead and He lives. "...for it is witnessed of Him, you are a priest forever," says verse 17, after the order of Melchizedek. You see, with the old Levitical priesthood, and with the law, sacrifices had to be repeatedly offered for the sins of the priest and the people. But now, Jesus' sacrifice has paid for sins. And not imperfectly, but perfectly, completely. Jesus' sacrifice is completely sufficient to pay for sins, making Jesus as we see in our passage this morning, making Jesus our eternal high priest, making Jesus and faith in Him the only way to be made right with God. And I am so thankful that the testimony of Scripture is clear on this. It again and again makes this truth clear. Let me just share with you a few passages. Romans chapter 5. I've already shared several from Romans Today, but listen to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, Jesus Christ is our hope. He is our better hope. Romans 8.2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with Him, our better hope, the Lord Jesus Christ, with Him having forgiven us all our trespasses. Jesus Christ is better. Beloved, Jesus Christ is better. He is our better hope. And Ephesians 2.5 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did God do? God made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. Believer, by grace, not by your keeping of the law, by grace you have been saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. The testimony of God's Word is clear. Jesus Christ is our better hope. Through faith in Jesus and because of His finished work on the cross for our sins, we are now made right with God. Something we desperately need and cannot accomplish on our own, in and of ourselves. 
through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are now made right with God and we are now complete and perfect in Christ. Even as we look at our lives and go, yet I still have problems. I have issues. I have sins that I am fighting. I hope you can say that about your life, that I am fighting sin. That I am putting to death the deeds of the flesh as God's Word commands us to do. But yet, not because of what we're doing or not because of our fight with sin and not because we're being faithful in that, but because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. He is our better hope. We are complete. Jesus is our the mirror in which God looks to see our completeness, our perfection. It's as if we have never sinned. It's as if we have never offended God. We are complete and perfect in Christ. When God looks at us, He sees His Son. If your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is true of you. Jesus Christ is your better hope. And because you are complete and perfect in Christ, you can now draw near to God. And that is a wonderful truth. And because of this wonderful truth, we can now joyfully say, with passages like Romans 6, verses 17 and 18. And I'll put the we in here. I'm going to put we in here because this is us. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is us. Listen. But thanks be to God that we, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which we were committed. And having been set free from sin... We, if our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. And that is liberating. That sounds, that sounds enslaving, doesn't it? Jesus, slaves of righteousness. No. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are now liberated to live in obedience to God's Word, are now able to say no to sin by the power of God at work in them, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Word. We can now say no to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer dead in our trespasses and sins, and we praise God because of our better hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for that better hope. Praise God for the Lord Jesus Christ.